Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Today, we're joined by neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swart. She's had a stellar career that started as a medical doctor of psychiatry, an international best-selling author of The Source, senior lecturer at MIT, TED Talker, leadership coach, and now we're proud to say chief science officer at Heights. So I get the joy of working in and working with Tara every week. With her PhD in neuropharmacology, she is a particular expert in all things brain nutrition, and that's why she's here to share her insights on nutrition and neuroscience. Talking about a really hungry, hungry hippo campus, uh, where do you want to start? I really want to start by saying that the bra- people don't really appreciate this. And, you know, why should you? You'd have to be a neuroscientist to really think about it in this way. But the brain is by far the most metabolically active organ in the body. Because it's small, it's only 2 or 3% of our body weight. It only weighs 2 or 3 kilos or 4 or 5 pounds but it uses up 20 to 30% of the breakdown products of what we eat. You know, when your brain's at rest, it's using up 20% of what you've eaten. When you're going about your daily life and doing, you know, normal activities, it's using up about 25% of what you've eaten. When you're really stressed or really focused, it's using up a third of what you've eaten. But I don't think that anybody wakes up in the morning and really thinks, what should I eat today so I can make really good decisions? What should I eat today so I can be a really good husband or father? People think, you know, I need to eat because I'm hungry. I'll make certain choices about what to eat because I don't want to put on weight or, you know, I'm trying to build muscle or I'm I'm going to run a marathon. Um, So I just sort of think that it's important to turn that round and think about the nutrition that's important for your brain, at least as well as what's important for your body. But, you know, from my point of view, I would say that primarily what's important for your brain. I guess the whole problem that we have is it's very difficult to depend on healthy eating habits alone, right? So we are naturally predisposed to uh, favour easier things. It's hard to develop difficult habits that are good for us. Our brains are wired towards enjoying sugar rushes, for example, that aren't necessarily so good for us. So I think the question is why we can't actually depend on healthy eating habits alone for our, our nutrition. The brain is all about habits and sustaining behavior change. You know, that's what neuroplasticity is about. So habits, including things like what we like the taste of, are things that we can change. Things like going from white rice to brown rice. You know, people did that about, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And at first, no one preferred it. Same with bread or whatever. For example, you know, at first it's like, oh, but I preferred that. And then, to be honest now, if you see someone eating white bread, you probably kind of look down your nose at them a little bit because it's just so obviously unhealthy. But I think convenience is a bigger issue there. So basically what I say is if you haven't cooked it, and I could go even further and say if you didn't grow it yourself, you don't know what's in that meal. I think you know I've been doing quite a lot of growing of my own vegetables during lockdown, and I've certainly been cooking three times a day. So basically... The wiring thing is, again, alluding back to what, you know, I, I mentioned about evolution and then, of course, the agricultural revolution and the industrial revolution. The way that we've destroyed our gut microbiome through those processes is shocking. 
Um, so processed food, the sugar, alcohol and you know, caffeine and things like that have actually massively devastated the quality and diversity of our gut bacteria. Gut bacteria are, they're their own creature that wants to live as well. And so they will mutate into all sorts of forms to try to stay alive. And a lot of our cravings come from not to do with whether we've eaten enough, but what nutrients and micronutrients we might be missing. But the, some cravings also come from these gut bacteria trying to survive. So, so sometimes when I work with clients who either sort of, you know, comfort eat or drink too much, I've actually got down to the point where I've said to them, is a bacteria or a virus or a fungus in your gut going to tell you what to eat or are you going to choose what to eat? And I think that separation of this little gremlin in your gut that's using you as an avatar to get, you know, what it needs to survive helps you to separate yourself from what you might be saying is your habit or your preference. So I think that's doing all the right things to build up your gut microbiome, like prebiotic foods, probiotics, fermented foods like kimchi and sauerkraut and kefir and kombucha is also a good way to like future-proof yourself against those problems. Agricultural issues are largely out of our control unless we're growing our own, only choosing organic, lobbying for improvements against, you know, genetic modification and things like that. And I think the sugar thing is, a, it's, it's half a myth. So, you know, when we, were, when we lived on the savannah and food was few and far between, things that were sweet were, you know, they gave us an immediate boost. And if they were like, the, the sort of glycemic index could mean that we could use that fuel for a little bit to keep going. So we do want to reduce refined sugar in our diets now. But if you take diet products, your gut bacteria actually take up more calories from other food than if you just had a small amount of sugar. So it's, it's a real minefield. Um, and coupled with modern day stress, you need to keep yourself educated. You need to make the right choices as much as you can. You need to keep stress out of your life because that's a very big reason why we don't make the right choices. And I would say, you know, certainly during lockdown, for example, or certainly during the winter months, or if you have a particular stress going on or an important event coming up, like the preparation I did for my US book launch, I did a three month, you know, full on with the supplements. So I think at certain times you actually do need supplementation as well as eating healthily. But I always feel that supplementation should be about augmenting a good diet, not about making up for a poor one. I guess talking a little bit about what you actually think is important um, in a diet. So, you know, now, now really focusing on the specific foods and ingredients that you personally recommend. And I guess obviously the caveat being that you are obviously in charge of the formulation at height. So assuming that you picked things that were particularly good for the brain with your neuropharmacology PhD, sharing what you chose, why you chose it, I think is really important for people as well. Sure. I'm not, I'm not vegan and I'm mostly vegetarian, but I do eat a bit of fish. Um, so the thing that I find difficult to get enough of is omega-3, well, the omega oils. Um, and I particularly picked omega-3 and the DHA element of that. So there's DHA and EPA, but for the brain and the retina and the optic nerve, DHA is the most important, although it's best to have both. And we've got the combination because it, you know, it has a sort of cumulative effect. So our brains are 60% fat, 90% of that is this compound called DHA, which is really only found in oily fish. 
But now we know, you know, we can get it, re- we can get it really sustainably from algae or seaweed as well. If you don't eat fish, then you pretty much do need to supplement it. If you do eat fish, you actually need to be eating three portions of oily fish per week. That can be tricky for people. And it's, you know, it's one of the basic building blocks of many cells, but brain cells particularly. And that's why children are often given omega oils. Um, But, you know, I'm from that age where I remember being given cod liver oil. It was just the most disgusting thing. And then there were better supplements, but there was still an issue of like the, the, the taste repeating. And so being able to avoid the fish for both sustainability reasons and for personal preference reasons, the algae oil is just... It's abundant. It's got all the good things in it. It's not, you know, harming you or anyone. And so um, my philosophy as a chief science officer is brain first, do no harm to, you know, our customers or the environment and be innovative. So it's innovative in that it's in the double capsule and the algorithms on the outside and then everything else is in the um, capsule that's on the inside. So and it's, you know, it's widely available. It's really bioavailable to your body. So that was the most important thing for me, considering the kind of lifestyle of, that people have today, tending to be a bit more flexitarian or vegetarian, vegan, and being under a lot of stress. So that's kind of like future-proofing your brain. And the ingredients inside it. So obviously, like, you know, the things I think are particularly interesting is the impact and role that things like antioxidants, um, B vitamins, vitamin D even, which has, you know, been such a hot topic during lockdown around the world, be great to hear your perspectives on how they impact your brain as well. Let's just pick up on vitamin D first, even though it's sort of lower down the list because of this new information, which is that, you know, a lot of people in, in the Western world and particularly closer to the, um, the poles are um, vitamin D deficient. And a lot of countries uh, fortify milk or cereals with vitamin D, but still we are vitamin D deficient. We just simply don't get enough sun which is our natural way of manufacturing vitamin D inside our body if we're not getting it through our nutrients. And now we know that vitamin D deficiency is a serious risk factor for getting COVID and getting COVID-19 symptoms worse than if you weren't vitamin D deficient. Vitamin D has, you know, we've always known that it's protective against certain cancers later in life, but now COVID-19 has really brought vitamin D back to the front of our minds. And and the B vitamins, the B6, the B1, the B12, the folate, all of those good things, they're required for our entire nervous system, not just the central nervous system. And they combat things like fatigue. And then the antioxidants are probably, you know, they're very up there as part of the anti-aging diet. So they are basically, um, you know, good compounds that eat up all the free radicals, which are the products of the oxidation process of our body. So Naturally, in our metabolism, as we live and breathe and digest, there's, there are processes going on, particularly if we eat processed food or smoked food um, or are under a lot of stress, that is our pro-oxidant processes that release these free radicals. Um, and these free radicals cause cell death. So cell death to neurons, but just general cell death. And that's what aging is, really. And that process of cell death is called apoptosis, just for the science geeks out there. So basically, if we take antioxidants, they mop up those free radicals and reduce the damage that's caused by the, the severe pro-oxidant processes, but also just the natural aging processes. So basically, omega oils, antioxidants, the B vitamins, those are kind of the top three. And then we included smaller amounts of vitamins that you should be getting from your diet, but you might not. So it's just to top up um, 
But now, you know, vitamin D has become particularly topical. So what are your three takeaways that you want people to remember and put into practice and start optimizing their brain power with regards to nutrition? What are the key things that people should remember? Well, I think I'm going to go back to, you know, what I said right at the beginning about thinking about your diet in a brain first kind of way. And that would mean focusing on the oily fish, um, the other good oils like olive oil, flaxseed oil, avocado oil, um, eating lots of avocados, nuts and seeds, leafy greens, um, also have a lot of magnesium in them, which is good for stressed people. So do nuts and seeds. And eggs are also, you know, have choline in them. So they're also good for your brain. So trying to include one or most of those things like on a daily basis. I hope it hasn't come across as it's all about things that you shouldn't be eating or what's bad for you. There's actually lots of really yummy things that are good for you, like dark chocolate, coffee. Um, so basically... Focusing on the darker things, so the dark berries, the, and you know we have bilberry extract in the capsule, the dark beans, you know, so choosing black beans over chickpeas or whatever. Um, I don't actually, you know, I only drink coffee when I meet you and Joel, but um, you know, dark roasted coffee. So that's two things. So focus on brain first, you know, focus on dark foods, and well, I ha- we didn't really talk about this, but not eating smoked food. So smoked food is very pro-oxidant, so that will undo a lot of the the good of taking antioxidants and you know I used to love smoked salmon but I stopped it at the age of 30 when I started that reverse aging diet and now we've got you know sashimi and you can get non-smoked salmon and stuff so those are the three main things from the brain point of view. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at your heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how healthy your brain is, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain health to get your free score from one to 100. See you next time. When people come into a therapeutic relationship and want to talk about being stuck, they kind of know what it is, they kind of understand why, but they just can't move past it. Hence the title. How did we get here? Exactly. Hello, it is so lovely to be back. It's Claude and Tan here. We are delighted to be bringing you season two of How Did We Get Here? This is where myself, Claudia Winkleman, and my wonderful friend, Professor Tanya Byron, look at some of the challenges people are facing with their nearest and dearest in one-off sessions. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to How Did We Get Here? wherever you get your podcasts to receive brand new episodes free. Thank you so much and see you soon.